What is up, everybody? Welcome back to Bitcoin and Markets. My name is Ansel Lindner. Go to bitcoinandmarkets.com and sign up for my free weekly newsletter. Okay, price here. Again, reading off of issue 178, the fundamentals report, Bitcoin fundamentals report comes out every Friday. Okay, this week, one of the big things, one of the big stories from this week was the CPI print. And I was a little bit surprised that it did go up this dramatically in January. I thought it was going to start coming down, but the main input into the CPI is the supply chain problems. And they are getting worse. They are getting worse. The The energy crisis in Europe uh, is driving different, you know, having a lot of disruption with a lot of stuff. And so the prices have gone up. But I think it's interesting that the day that CPI was announced, gold and Bitcoin dropped. These are two supposed inflation hedges and in the highest inflation in 40 years once again, yet Bitcoin and gold dropped. Gold is still like 5% below its 2011 high. Now, some of that's coming into Bitcoin. That's why gold isn't performing as well. But I mean, Bitcoin is in a multi-month downtrend right now. It's just starting to break up, just starting to break out of that. But if we have such high inflation and Bitcoin is supposedly an inflation hedge, you know, why do we see Bitcoin trending downward dramatically over the last couple months? It just doesn't check. And that the reason for that, there's a very simple answer to that. It's that CPI does not measure money printing. It does not measure inflation. It measures consumer prices. And consumer prices are currently being driven almost entirely by supply chain issues. Once you accept that, then this contradiction goes away. Okay, so right now, most of the price increases, the consumer prices are being affected by supply chains. Just look as a microcosm. Look at used cars. They are extremely expensive right now. You know, the the old saying that when you buy a new car and you drive it off the lot, it loses like a third of its value, right, immediately? Well, that's not happening right now. Used cars are just as expensive as new cars, maybe more because you can't even get new cars right now. That old adage doesn't fit today. And so that's just an example. And why is that? Well, it's because the supply chain issues to make new cars is breaking down. You just simply can't make enough cars right now. So used cars are being bid up. A a great example is this bridge situation, uh, Ambassador Bridge on uh, right by Detroit that is uh, being blocked by these truckers. And this does $500 million in trade a day. Most of it is for the auto industry, or a lot of it is the auto industry, just moving parts back and forth. I mean, that's going to affect prices. That's going to affect car prices. That's going to affect the supply chains of cars. You can't get the parts to make the new cars. So you have to buy the, the used cars, pushing those prices up. So the financial hurricane, take this back to the financial hurricane. And I talked about this a year ago, that in a natural disaster, certain prices go up dramatically. Just getting bottled water or a generator or windows, the price of windows in a disaster area, or, you know, every price that you can look at in a natural disaster will go up. Same 
in a financial hurricane. In a financial hurricane, certain prices go up. Other, and right now, we're, we're so ravaged by this financial hurricane that all prices are going up. But it's not due to money printing. If it were, prices, you know, if M2 really measured money, which it doesn't, just stop thinking that. And if the Federal Reserve's balance sheet measured money, which it doesn't, stop thinking that. If these numbers double, prices would double. And they aren't doing that. They're going up 7% year on year. 7% year on year. That means the prices today are 7% higher than the prices last year this time. That's not, I mean, that's high. But we have the worst supply chain issues maybe ever since World War II. And yeah, prices are going to go up by 7%. I don't see how people can expect to have the worst supply chain issues in 75 years and prices aren't going to go up by 7%. It's ridiculous. If, if it matched the M2 supply, prices would be double or triple, not 7%. Anyway, so <laughs> on the report, I wrote about how some of the supply chain issues could be getting worked out. I mean, we have new supply chain issues, like I mentioned, the Ambassador Bridge, but some of the older ones now could be getting worked out. I linked to a story from uh, talking about Foxconn. They are a huge assembler in China. They assemble Blackberries, iPads, iPhones, iPods, Kindles, Nokia devices, PlayStation 4, Wii, Xbox One, among many other popular consumer electronics, and they are expecting significant improvement in sourcing semiconductors in the first quarter and an overall improvement in their supply chain by summer. So this means a lot of supply side pressures are going to be relieved going into the middle of the year from, you know, quarter one to quarter two, that is going to see a lot of relief in the supply side pressures. And I'll mention when CPI really took off in 2021, that was April, May. So now we're going to be going into April, May, where the year-on-year change is going to be less, most likely, starting to go down. And the supply-side pressures are going to be relieved. Right, So we're going to have a dramatic drop in the CPI, in consumer prices. Um, we could even see, I think we might have a negative print this year. So we'll see how that that works out. Okay. Speaking specifically of Bitcoin, um, yes, it had this nice breakout of the downtrend, but it's still sitting about 42,000 right now. And it dipped 7% off, you know, when we had the highest uh, CPI print in 40 years. Let's see, what do I say? I said, I would not be surprised to see a test of 41,000 before further upside. And let me just take a look at the chart. We got down to 41,600, so pretty close to my prediction here. And we do seem to be bouncing a little bit this morning. Uh, what is most like, oh, that is the most likely scenario, I say. If price refuses to fall and just reverses back into a rising trend from here, that is a very bullish sign. And I do think that we're seeing some bullish signs this morning. We'll see, we held above so there was a little flat area back on the 4th through the 6th of february where price was right around 41,500, and it seems like that has provided support this time 
right above that area. So as long as we stay above 41,500, it should be, you know, we should be in the clear for further upside. Okay, and I also included this chart that I just ran across on Twitter from OnChain College, and it's about the Bitcoin dormancy flow. And I have not looked into this, but it does look like he has a uh, legit formula here. And it's showing that when this dormancy flow dips to a specific level that has marked four times the bottom of bear markets back in 2012, 2015, 2019, and today. The average time spent in that zone at the bottom is an average of 34 days. And we've been in that zone for 32 days and look like we're bouncing and reversing off of that. So that is a very interesting metric. I'm going to have to look more into this. I linked to it from OnChain College. Last story, I guess, for price is Bloomberg. So Bloomberg came out with a prediction or estimation of fair market value of Bitcoin, and they say it was around 38000 at the time, which at the time that they published that, it was meant that Bitcoin was 12% overvalued. And I just think that's hilarious because Bloomberg missed Bitcoin the whole time, right? They missed Bitcoin for 10 years. And now they're starting to have more predictions. I've seen JP Morgan and Bank of America put out some predictions. And like, where have you been? And why should we uh, think that now you know what's going on? At this, this measure is coming from an, an analysis of volatility. And so they look at gold volatility and Bitcoin volatility and they say, okay, well, the difference there is that Bitcoin is much more volatile and so the market cap should be XYZ and that puts the fair market value of Bitcoin around 38000 This is a quote from the, this story. The biggest challenge for Bitcoin going forward is its volatility and the boom-bust cycles that hinder further institutional adoption. So I talked about this, the cycles, the boom-bust cycles in Bitcoin on the last episode, so you guys can check that out. But I say Bitcoin's volatility is to the upside. Like, look at the history of Bitcoin, right? It's, if your investment doubles, yeah, it's volatile, but it's has doubled. <laughs> I don't I don't know. And this is not at all the biggest hurdle for Bitcoin. Like I just said earlier in the podcast, uh, or I guess it was on the first part, was that the, the struggle for Bitcoin going forward is going to be distancing Bitcoin from the substitutes, making sure that that 21 million is seen as 21 million and not just one option. Right now, the 21 million is seen as one option amongst a bunch of different coins. It must be made plain for people that there is no substitute for Bitcoin. 21 million is 21 million. That's it. It's like saying copper is a substitute for gold. It doesn't work. Same with Bitcoin. Once this, once these substitutes are discredited, that's when Bitcoin really can cross that monetary chasm to a medium of exchange. All right, and I have one more part, guys, so stay tuned for the next episode.